The Jays score runs for him. He comes out, he throws five, seven, and nine pitches to get the Yankees for the next three innings. <laughs> they didn't get another base runner. Yes, I, I, do, I do not think that Drew Storen is Sergio Santos. <laughs> <laughs> for so many reasons. If I went to a cricket game, I'd be on the phone constantly trying to figure out how long the thing lasted. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome once again to Artificial Turf Wars, Episode 7, where every throw we make is on the run. I am Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by my good friend Josh Housem. How you doing tonight, Josh? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. We've had a pretty full week. We had uh, we had six games, so we've got starting pitching to talk about. We have two batters who are on fire, uh, one roster move, and, and then while everybody's humming and hawing over whether they're really doing good this season. We grabbed some other statistics to talk about that maybe indicate it's too early to make a big determination about the season. Um, the Rogers folks, or the, the, I should say the Blue Jays people, fired a very popular Twitter presence. Um, we'll talk about him. We have a couple of questions. We have a do-over that I must say is tailor-made for our do-over format. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have some uh some kind of digressions and final thoughts um i think that should should take us to the end so three and three three and three is not a bad week uh, no especially when you're playing the red sox and the yankees yeah you're keeping your head above water in the division it it did start a little rough um with this habit of that started in tampa of, of giving up runs late and then forgetting that you were also allowed to score them <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that, that was a little bit of a trend. Was it four games in a row? Yeah, with the Jays blue. Yep, it's no, like or yeah, three. I was it was bad. You got guys coming by the end. They didn't even give Cecil a lead to blow. They just put him in a tie game. Like you're gonna you're, <laughs> you're gonna let one score anyway. Why have a lead when you do it? He came through, <clears throat> not not in a good way. Uh, but of course you wouldn't have a lead in the late innings if it weren't for the performance of this rotation, which was something people were super scared of and bring up a lot. And they've been the yeah. exact opposite of unreliable and, and weird. They've been very solid. Yeah, they, they really have. I mean, you know, R.A. Dickey has been not very good and, but that's kind of a thing with him. He's just not good in April. Uh, I don't know if it's the the weather or if he just needs a longer spring but he's been bad in april for three years in a row and he turns it on around june but i mean hap has been he looks like how he looked in pittsburgh you know he'll only throw six innings to start he just doesn't have the ability to do more than that because he throws a lot of pitches but he's given up two runs in each start right and when you're looking at your number four or five starter however you want to whatever you want to call him but you're looking at the back end of the rotation that's what you're asking for Give yeah, me six exactly. innings to get to the bullpen and try not to bury us <laughs> while you're getting to the six innings. Two runs yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, and it's like, actually, it was wrong. It was one run in the last game against the Yankees. Yeah, he gave up 10 base runners, though. Seven, yeah, I that's think, what but, he does. Right, but you look at that and you go, well, that's probably not going to result in one run all the time, but you have a way about you of managing to get that done, so I'm not going to argue with that way. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the way it is. He wasn't giving up hard hit balls. He wasn't giving up doubles and triples and things like that. You know, a bunch of singles. I think he gave up one double. 
if you pitch that way, you're usually going to win. Yeah, you just got to space it out well enough. And uh, like you said, keep the slugging percentage down. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes you give in with a walk instead of giving in by, by parking one down the middle of the plate. Um, now, that's, that's Jay Happ, who we weren't expecting to be good. Marco Estrada has had one start. He was fantastic. Swoon. Swoon. <laughs> Marco Estrada. Um, they oh, didn't really start popping up the ball until the later part of his start. He That's because l- he was striking everybody out in the first few innings. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, which actually costs Marco Estrada a little bit because it's the same thing with him and Hab. It, it makes it tougher for him to get late in the innings if, uh, if they aren't offering up at things. Boston is a, is a patient team, especially yeah, they really com- are. compared to Tampa, who is just, they're a bunch of hackers, apparently, um, from the looks of them. But that contrast I found was huge between those two series. Yeah, I mean, Estrada only gave up seven base runners in his seven innings. If he hadn't, you know, if he'd given up a couple more hits or if they hadn't thrown that guy out at the plate on that amazing relay by Ryan Goins, his pitch count might have gotten a lot higher, as you said, just because you know, when you're striking guys out, your pitch count goes up. Yeah, which is how and the that, Blue Jays have elevated the pitch count of many of the starters they faced. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Not to great effect, yeah. always. That was a weird trend. We didn't actually put that in the notes, but that was really... I mean, I don't know if they're going to do that all year long, but that first inning pitch count was insane. Every like, start. Yeah. It was, it was never below 10, and it was quite often over 25. Yeah, and they were just, they were just struggling to get the runs home. They, you know, they'd, we worked three two count, three two count, two walks, two guys on, and then a strikeout and a ground out, and the inning would be over. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you can continually do that, and these hitters have shown that they can, then that eventually the runs are going to start piling up in bunches early in games and the Jays are going to see a lot of bullpens early. And I think the other thing you, you see when that happens is as, as he, a pitcher goes through that many pitches, he has to go to his secondary stuff in the first or second inning. He mm-hmm. can't just throw fastballs because they're going to be all over the fastball. So you, <laughs> you advance that process of, of making him um, use up or, or show a pattern earlier. And again, I think that I was expecting that to work out better for them. I think in the long run, that could work out better for them or should. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, it's funny that we, we, we were talking about starting pitching. We haven't even gotten to the two guys who most people gush over. Who yeah, we I started got to gush over last podcast. Yeah. Who was, who was in charge of the order? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. We'll save the best for last, I guess. So we'll go with Aaron Sanchez. Is that I thought fair? you said you were saving the best for last. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nothing if not predictable, I guess. <laughs> um, Here's the thing about Sanchez and this start. He wasn't his best. You know, he threw 54 strikes to 43 balls. Uh, I mean, he didn't get, did not get a lot of help from the home plate umpire. I think I, I looked on... Annoying. I looked on Brooks and there were nine pitches that should have been called strikes that were not... <laughs> It was an oval strike zone. Like you have an ovoid thing up there. Sh- there needs to be a corner on it somewhere. Maybe not four of them. <laughs> it was it was insanely bad, but it was bad for both teams. True. But he, here's what impressed me about this Sanchez start. He did not have his best stuff. His command was shaky. His fastball was slower than last time by about almost one and a quarter miles per hour on average. Uh, he couldn't really throw his change up and he still dominated the Yankees a team that is loaded with left-handed hitters which have traditionally given him given him a lot of trouble 
Which is fantastic. I mean, to me, this was a more encouraging start for my belief that he can be in the rotation long-term than the one where he dominated the Rays, just because, as you mentioned, the Rays will swing at everything. And against a guy with command issues, that doesn't really tell you a lot. <laughs> no. Um, I've noticed that he has cured his, his uh, leave the breaking ball up and don't finish it problems. <laughs> that he has. He's bouncing a few too many. Yeah, he, he may have. He may be, I mean, he's, he's a young guy still. He's, he's still hunting for that happy middle ground where you can, you can park that down around the ankles and, and not have Russ Martin get all beat up by it on a regular basis. But when he makes a mistake now, it costs him a ball. Before, it would cost him maybe an extra base hit or a home run. So, exactly. Which is, I mean, it's a huge difference. And that so, reinforces the whole ground ball tendency as well. It's great to yeah, see. Yeah, in that game against the Yankees, he got ground balls on 62.5% of balls in play. We're going to talk about ground balls for somebody else in a minute. <laughs> oh, are we now? <laughs> yeah. Would you like to do that now? Okay, we'll go over to that. So Marcus Stroman's had two starts since. Uh, the first start was clearly not where he wanted to be at. He was having command problems against Boston. And he did the classic pitcher, the kick the mound around for a while, like it's the mound's fault. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure sometimes, yes, your landing spot isn't quite the same, but, but other times I think there's other stuff going on. So he was not great against Boston, but did not most of those runs come, you know, after he left the game? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean when you leave with the bases loaded, you <laughs> probably don't expect all of them to score, especially when there are two outs. <laughs> they scored pretty fast. Yeah, well, they got that the 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 tension was relieved in not yeah. the best way. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Um, but in that inning, I mean, he came out and he walked two batters with a seven to two lead in the sixth inning, and he just can't do that. No, no. So that was the downside of Marcus Stroman. Uh, tonight we are recording Thursday. He finished a, a ruthlessly efficient three hit, eight inning. Uh, two-run game. The two <laughs> runs were garbage. <laughs> if, there, if you could ever point at two runs and go, well, well, okay, no, one of them was his fault because it was a wild pitch. But he got four grounders in the inning, and he gave up one soft fliner to Mark Teixeira, and he hit a batter just his uniform. A-Rod didn't even twitch. It just flicked his uniform uh, right about belt level with a changeup. Um, so all of these things come together, and then Ryan Goins has a ball in his glove and can't find the ball. It, it was just brutal. So I know that happens in baseball, but there's nothing Marcus Stroman can do to be any better in that inning except the wild pitch. I, I, I was going to ask if the flyner was on a clutter or a slutter. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i think the problem is you, you mispronounce one of those things and then we have to bring out the beep machine again um <laughs> darn it <laughs> so could i get a do-over uh yeah I, i'd give you a do-over for sure um what do you think did you look at marcus stroman's ground ball percentage for this yeah. start yeah <laughs> so <laughs> marcus stroman pitched eight innings he got, so it means he got 24 outs. Of those 24, 17 were on the ground and two were fly balls. 73. 17 to 9. two. 
73.9% ground ball percentage, including the quote-unquote base hit to Ryan Goins, etc., etc. 74% ground ball rate is just stupid. It's insane. I mean, the pitcher shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Especially a team like, against a team like the Yankees. I mean, yeah, you've got guys like Ellsbury, Gregorius, Castro, who are all ground ball guys, but A-Rod, Teixeira, McCann, Beltran, even Headley, they're all mostly fly ball hitters. The other thing I pulled up was the interesting... Now, I am not a fan of the, the shutdown inning as a... Like, you're always trying to shut down the opposition. That's just, yes, we've cliched that yeah, before. Yeah, death, but... Um, no, that is not... The, I hate it when I don't have windows that I thought I had open. Open. You ever do that? No, <laughs> you're always fine with that stuff. Clearly, I'm the more professional of the two of us here Absolutely. with my He had sweaters. the rough fourth inning. The rough fourth yes, inning did. was 34 pitches. The first three innings, he had thrown 35 total. Wow. So That's rather efficient. Yeah. So, well, you, you're like, oh, crap. I just blew my game out of the water with one bad inning that just wouldn't end. And then he threw a 16-pitch inning, which is okay. So he's getting up there. The Jays score runs for him. He comes out, he throws five, seven, and nine pitches to get the Yankees <laughs> for the next three innings. They didn't get another base runner. No. But he caught up to his pitch count. He had 85 pitches after five, <laughs> and he threw 106 and finished eight innings. This guy, I like a guy who can just turn it up. And, and his, Marcus Stroman goes to 11. He really does. I mean, of all the people that you can actually think that that's a thing that happens, it's got to be him, right? Yep. I mean, he just gets so amped up, and you can really see that emotions sort of guide him on the mound. Yeah, and he wears it on his sleeve, and it works. Yeah. If it didn't work, if he was like Kyle Drayback yakking at himself around the mound and then still walking the, the, the planet, I wouldn't be impressed. But, <laughs> but I'm impressed. Duly. So we've kind of gone over the rotation, right? Yeah, I think we covered the rotation. Did you see who was warming up in that fourth inning if it had gotten away from Stroman? Uh, not Ryan Tapera. <laughs> <laughs> Darn right. <laughs> Pat Finn did he. Um... That was an interesting move. I guess, I guess that was saying... Now, what is that saying as a manager? Is that saying, I don't want you throwing 40 pitches in this inning and I'm just going to have to come get you? Well, I think part of it was just he was having some command issues in that inning, right? Yeah. And it, it, the bases were loaded. A run was already in. Two runs were already in, actually. And so you just If the game starts to look like it's going to get away, you got to come in and stop it. Right. It's and Stroman, you know, he, he shut it down, and then Diddy sat back down. But, you know, it, it's a, you have to have a guy ready there, right? Yeah, no, that's fair. I just, it, it's, it was interesting to see, well, first of all, Venditti up, and it was interesting to see someone up for Stroman in the fourth inning. We haven't seen that since, I think, before he had his injury. I guess it was just so out of character. It was like, whoa, Stroman can get yeah. pulled early. Okay, I guess that's yeah. still true. You know, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's human. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about Pat Venditti, Craig. Okay, Pat Venditti wears 44. I think the one of the fours should be backwards on his uniform. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems I think he right should have me. a wheel for his numbers so he can flip them around. Yeah, they, well, then he'd have to have a number that was 88. I, he, I know pitchers don't wear high numbers voluntarily, but 88 would be great because you could do anything with it. You'd turn it you know, upside down, backwards, still 88. Are you, you're very happy to see this enigma in the big leagues and doing okay. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> we joke around about, oh, it's fun to have the switch pitcher, but I actually think he could be a really useful weapon. Now, Franklin Morales on the DL with arm tiredness. They didn't actually say what was wrong with him. He just couldn't warm up. But Venditti can get righties and lefties out with pretty good efficiency, and that's a really useful weapon, especially in the American League East, where there's all these left-handed bats, but enough right-handed thumpers in the middle of them that it can cause you problems. And Schulman had lots of fun with it last night he's like there are two pitchers warming up in the blue jays bullpen right now and both of them are named pat venditti (laughs) (laughs) i had a good laugh at that uh also he was trying to note (laughs) tonight they cut to the bullpen he goes and venditti is warming up as a right-hander and venditti switches and starts with the other arm (laughs) like (laughs) or as a (laughs) left-hander oh I just love that there's a guy that had that changed the rules of baseball or had a rule written about him and he's on the Blue Jays. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's just fun. Baseball is is supposed to be not predictable and if anything is not predictable, Pat Venditti fits <laughs> all of those descriptions. Um now in order to win baseball games, of course, not only do you have to pitch well, you have to hit the baseball. And really, there are two guys hitting the baseball on this team. Well, okay, uh, maybe we give Michael Saunders a point. Yeah, yeah. he's been doing well. Um, but considering the, the, the pedigree of this lineup, it's really sitting on the shoulders of, of two guys who are on fire. Yeah. Well, I mean, those two guys tend to be on fire. Josh Donaldson and Jose Bautista. <laughs> Jose Bautista has had exactly a 500 OBP for, I believe, four games in a row. Yep. That's <laughs> consistency, folks. Keep it nice and steady. <laughs> that means, this is the other part that is just crazy to me. That means that 50% of the time, literally half of the time, when Donaldson and, uh, sorry, when Encarnacion and Tulowitzki come up, they look, and Jose Bautista is standing on base. Yeah. It's, that w- would be so weird. It like as as Encarnacion just looking up and going, "Oh, he's there again." <laughs> it's like when was the last time Encarnacion batted from when the pitcher was pitching from the full? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh again, he's so consistent. So that's crazy. But he hasn't been the one actually hitting per se. He's been doing. He had the two home run night, which was cool. But the hitter in the club is Josh Donaldson, who hit his fifth home run tonight. And it was a bomb. <laughs> Nathan Evaldi decided, I'm going to th- throw a 90 mile an hour splitter that doesn't split and just stays <laughs> over the middle of the plate to Josh Donaldson. Not usually a good idea. And he, it, he did not miss it. No, so no, important that not. you don't miss it. Um, <laughs> Which has actually been happening to a lot of the Jays hitters in this season so far. They've just been missing floaters down the middle. Donaldson has not been. No. And yeah, I, Martin comes to mind immediately that there was a just that hanger on that double play the other night um, where they started Saunders. The strike him out, throw him out. Yeah, the strike him out, throw him out. And the pitch he missed, I was like, could it be any slower and more hanging? Yeah, and hanging curveball. Like, <laughs> woof. I was like, oh man, okay, just take a step back. I'm sure we'll hear about some early batting practice or some special session or something that Russell Martin took and it'll all start to get better. Yeah. Um, but anyway, people were worried about a step back from Donaldson. Uh, they Not probably yet. don't have to be. No, no, he seems to have um, zoned in on where he needs to be. Now, he's not. Now, he came out, of course, before the game tonight. He's, he's not really pleased with where his swing's at. 
What is that? Yeah. The guy's, the guy, the guy's hitting 325 <laughs> with a 775 slugging percentage and five home runs in 10 games. Not pleased. No, no. Got to do better. Not where he wants to be. <laughs> um, I also would like to give a vote of confidence for Jacoby Ellsbury trying to save Nathan Eovald these feelings on that home run because he pursued it as though he was going to make some sort of play on it. It landed think, in the, the second row of the flight deck. Yeah. It was like, gone. I mean, Donaldson didn't even move after he hit it. He just stared at it because <laughs> it was that big. It was 30 feet over Ellsbury's head. And he's trying to, like, figure out how to play it off. 30? The, it was, like, 70 feet over his head. Well, how do you play it off the facing? It's like, oh, if it bounces right, I'll catch it and throw it in. <laughs> oh, it was uh, impressive. So, yeah, I guess that was just to make Eovaldi feel like he hadn't given up a monster shot. Um. Now, we go on about how good or not good the Jays are uh, on the, the offensive side of the ball. We make some conclusions. I, I think there are a lot of conclusions that even you and I are making that are probably premature. Not probably. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that are premature. They, they tell us a lot about the last 10 games. They tell us nothing about how the rest of the season is going to go. And we see this on Twitter, and we, you know, we get comments from people and, and see people panicking. Here are some things that have happened so far in the season. We grab them not from the Blue Jays, because you're all familiar with Russell Martin's horrible batting average or um, Marcus Stroman's incredible performances. Uh, you, you go first with the one you found about the Orioles. Yeah, so people might have noticed the Orioles started out the season kind of well. They went 7-0 and in their first seven games. Now that sounds like a very good team. It does. It does. sounds like everything's clicking on all cylinders, right? Yes. Yeah. In, the, in, in those games, their starting pitcher averaged under five innings per start. Well, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that'll that'll work for another hundred games, hundred fifty games yeah. or so. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can keep winning games with your starter going four and a third. You just you call up more pitcher people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you wear some, out the... at least small sample goodness. Uh, you remember the Mets. Yes, they went to the World Series. Yes, and uh, were defeated by the Kansas City Royals, but not, you know, not embarrassingly so. They just couldn't couldn't keep that ninth inning down. The Mets this season, who signed Ioannis Cespedes, who is a power threat, I think you would agree. I think everybody would agree. Absolutely. The Mets have two home runs. That's the whole team <laughs> in 10 games. So that yes. projects for, for them over the season to have... Uh, not a lot of home runs. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like doing projections here. No. Now, Trevor Story, of course, everybody knows, has seven home runs. You grab that one. He has, as, as of Monday, he had as many homers as the Mets, Pirates, Marlins, and Angels together. And on those teams included are Mike Trout, Giancarlo Stanton, <laughs> Andrew McCutcheon, and, as you mentioned, Cespedes. Some guys that can hit the ball out of the park. And Pujols. And on and on it goes. Something's got to give, folks. Uh, time will tell. There is one more. We had our, our top five on-base plus slugging leaders. So up to the 10-game point, obviously, we're going to hear Miguel Cabrera's name. We're going to hear Mike Trout. We're going to hear Bryce Harper. So you just you give me the top five. Okay. There are Jeremy Hazelbaker, Daniel Murphy, Dexter Fowler, Trevor White, and Trevor Story. Tyler White. <laughs> one of the Whites. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you uh, you touched on anyone I'm familiar with. Like I know who Daniel <laughs> Murphy is. I, I've never yeah. heard of Hazel 
Baker. Yeah, he hasn't appeared on even like any top 10 team prospect lists. <laughs> but but we're into the season. Here we go. It's it's all been foretold. Yeah. So lesson early season stats mean nothing. <laughs> Uh, but but Trevor's story is a very cool story. I mean, no pun intended. It's That's really neat. And it also pretty much ensures that Jose Reyes will never see another game in a Colorado Rockies uniform again. Oh, yeah. 100%. And so, just folks, just when you look at Russell Martin being dead last in baseball and on base percentage, he's chasing. he's going to stay there. He's chasing Jeremy Hazelbaker. <laughs> whoever that is hey, but just don't tell this to Marla, to Cardinals fans because they're convinced they have like the next Miguel Cabrera or something like that oh my goodness um, so we'll move out of statistics to Rogers slash the Blue Jays parting ways with Stephen R. Brooks um, if you're on Twitter you would probably know him as the guy who took pictures of all of the stuff going on with the new turf and tweeting it out and then answering a lot of questions for fans. This yeah, that's of, how most people know him. Kind of a weird one that it was just like, boom, he's parting ways. Uh, we Then it was he was fired and then it was he resigned. What do you make of it? Well, and the most thing I make about it is just that something he wanted to be doing or he liked did not work with what Mark Shapiro sees from his head of the business department of the team. Uh, apparently during the pick chalks, he, he mentioned he doesn't like how the Jays handle their ticketing, which is very much under books purview. And he, the guy he brought in from Cleveland, Andrew Miller. No, not that Andrew Miller. Oh, that would have been nice. I've <laughs> <laughs> retired to go into VP operations. of a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not tired of being too good at baseball. <laughs> I want to try my hand at something new. Uh, not quite. Okay. Anyway, that guy oversaw the uh, the stadium renovations that were done at Progressive Field, and you know that's kind of something that needs to happen in here. So, it, it from a from a business side, there's some understanding of why something like that would happen. But from an emotional side, people know Brooks, so they, it was very weird for them to see him go. He's actually scheduled for a pitch talks or something like that next week. I don't think that's going to happen now. Well, if he's a quote unquote free agent. Um, maybe it's going to happen. He's going to spill the beans. Get your tickets. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if he's still there, I think you should. Uh, yeah, you might, you might learn something even between whatever the talks are. Uh, though you're right. He probably is, is going to, uh, gracefully bow out. Um, but the thing that's come out of all this is this notion of the destruction of the, of the Canadian blue Jays and making them the Americanized team because they've gotten rid of Beeston, Anthopolis, and Brooks, all of whom were Canadians, and replaced them all with Americans. Do you know what I say to that? Why are you mentioning this to me? Because it's the silliest thing ever? I'm just going to go... But but then I have to act like one of Charlie Brown, the people on Charlie Brown and figure out what you're trying to say. Uh, Here's the thing. Those people were not hired because they were Canadian. They were hired because they were people who were likely already known to Paul Beeston or someone else in charge who happened to be Canadian and know them because they were Canadian. But they, they weren't hired in an effort to keep the team Canadian. Baseball is, is hire-your-buddy business. Um, and if you really want to get down to it, uh, were we really, really excited that the most Canadian team in baseball was the Brewers? 
<laughs> like were we thrilled about that was this like did we all become brewers fans because they have like a half canadian front office no nobody cared and nobody should what care you're trying to say is that we all should become brewers fans and stop following the blue jays right i think you may have misinterpreted some of the things i just said <laughs> damn i was trying <laughs> yeah there's my take it's nonsense yeah sounds about right <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll leave it at that uh we promised to answer questions didn't we yeah we we don't have many we've got a couple but they're ones that have some depth to them so i think we should limit to them you know not talk about the silly stuff okay so question number one i will let you give it to me okay this comes from olerud's helmet at olerud's helmet is it too early to talk about moving Kevin Pillar off the leadoff spot? Um, well, that's an interesting question because, of course, I think Josh and I are, are united in the idea that he should never have been there in the first place. Yes, we definitely are. Okay, but if you accept the idea that he's there, I would say nothing has happened yet to cause you to move him off the leadoff spot because if you, if you put him there to try and drive the ball, run the bases quickly and or sort of well, um, and do whatever it is you thought he was going to do. Kevin Pillar's been pretty much just advertised. Yeah, I mean, he has no walks. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's what Kevin Pillar does. Do not or doesn't make fun. Do. He has an allergy. He could have a serious reaction <laughs> if he took a walk just without preparing himself first and taking medication of some kind. <laughs> he needs an EpiPen if he takes a walk. Exactly. And then he'd run really <laughs> fast if you've ever seen anybody who's just taken an EpiPen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, like we were not believing he should be in the lead-off spot to begin with. So it's hard for us to say that he, you know, it's, for us it's too late. But as you mentioned, I mean, there's just nothing now. There's no reason to change it now. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not hitting either, which is a problem, but uh, give it a couple more games and see what happens. Essentially, is the answer. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he falls in an 0 for 20 um, and he doesn't start getting hit by pitches, which also he seems to be allergic to, he seems to think the only way to... No, he to, swings at the ones that are going to... That's how he tries yeah. to save himself, is to swing at them and knock the ball away or something. <laughs> I've noticed this tendency as well. Um so yeah, if if somehow he figures out if he doesn't figure out how to get on base and he goes over twenty and Ryan Goins catches fire and or Michael Saunders or Saunders, um, yeah, you're, I think you could see John Gibbons making that move. Um, he might end up reversing the move later. I don't know. Yeah. It, all tough to tell how you get in John Gibbons' doghouse exactly, but once you get there, you tend <laughs> to stay there for a long time. Uh, I want to know before we move off Pilar, just something that came up. He apparently played September with a broken hand. I, I heard that on the broadcast, and I thought, how broken was it? Well, I, I'm sure there's a lot of bones in the hand. I'm, sure, I'm assuming he just cracked one of them, but it's still crazy. Yeah. Because most of the time, a hand injury is, is the death of the hitter, for obvious reasons. Yeah, and it was, just, it was his throwing hand, which is actually better for the hitter, but not when you're throwing in the outfield. Weird. So I'm sure more details to come on that about how he was able to play through it, I think was what, something they were going to cover uh, post-game, but I didn't catch it. So Yeah, he's actually week. apparently doing that as we record with Mike Wilner. 
So, yeah, we'll keep you posted. Possibly on uh, Baseball Prospectus Toronto, depending on how in-depth they get. Ooh, uh, good teaser. We have another question from Mike at GoSendsGo101. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Um, <laughs> Mike's one of the few people I'm like, could we have him call it? No, it's not live. Um, Mike's been on Twitter forever. Early thoughts on Drew Storen. Do you want to start this one? No, you go ahead. I, I had the first crack at Kevin Pillar. Um, here's the thing that's notable about Drew Storen so far this season. I mean, the, the numbers, I don't, as we've established, they mean nothing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, guys have good games, bad games. Brett Cecil had 38 scoreless innings appearances in a row, and they gave up runs in three out of four. But the interesting thing with Storen is that his velocity is way down right now. Well, not way. It's, like a, it's about two and a half miles an hour down from where it usually is. That's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's early, and a lot of guys build velocity as the season goes. He has had a couple Aprils where he's down, but not this far down. Mm. So, it's, I mean, he's still throwing 92, 93 miles an hour, but he's a guy that normally lives in the 94 to 96, 97 range. Odd. Yes, a little bit odd. So, it will be interesting to see where this goes. I think that's something that we should be monitoring as the month progresses. If he doesn't start picking it up a bit, I think we should be worried. Yeah, I, and I think as we see him a little bit more, we'll get to see whether the slider is still as effective a weapon when paired up with just a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, if, if that's where it's at, uh, as compared to that 94-95. Is that's right? That's part of the adjustment. Maybe hitters yeah. don't have to worry about so much anymore. And the slider is where he lives and breathes. Um, yeah, he's got a wicked slider. So, yeah, you're right. If they can just wait back on it, it might become less effective. We had, uh, we had another guy with a fantastic slider who just never worked out. You remember him? Yes. I, I, don't, I do not think that Drew Storen is Sergio Santos. <laughs> <laughs> For so many reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, would we, we would probably still be talking about this even if he hadn't given up the home run the other night because that home run was literally a foot fair so i think that i I don't think it's we're down on him because of that like you said the numbers aren't really necessarily what means what yeah Uh, we we only have the two questions correct that's it nothing popped in sometimes things pop in while we're recording and i get all all flustered and yeah screw them (laughs) if someone comes in too late too bad you missed your chance oh oh he's laying down the law now Oh my goodness. So we have a couple of what well, we have a do over. That oh, I yeah. said was, was <laughs> absolutely tailor made for the do over format. His best pitch pitch is probably a slider that he will use, especially when he has what did you call it? The switch advantage? The platoon advantage, platoon I guess. Platoon advantage. I'm just making it up on the fly. I like it. <laughs> I'm going with it. And he'll So you found that tidbit somehow, Josh. Yeah, this was during Venditti's appearance in the in the ninth inning when he pitched against the Yankees on Wednesday's game. I had to go back and pull that because, <laughs> my God, how long has Tabler been doing this? How does he not know what a platoon advantage is? I don't know. Like, I and how did Shulman keep his straight face? He's a pro, clearly. He's like. You, you've never heard of the... Okay, you know what a platoon is. <laughs> Have you heard of those? 
Like, I don't know how you actually go that far. So, I mean, I, I guess your your take on that was that the, the response should have been something like this. Not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh exactly. Yeah. My, I mean, my God. We, we, you know, we harp on Buck and Pat a lot because they say a lot of silly things. That was just insane. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, you, you ever had a friend where you're, you're talking to them and then you find out that they like, they don't know that scallops come from a, a seashell <laughs> and you're like, well, what did you think they came from? Or just some weird thing that you thought everybody knew. That's what this is. It's like, did nobody ever explain it to Tabler in, in those words because they all just assumed he knew? But here's what I don't understand. How could you be around the game <laughs> and like calling games for years and not just hear somebody say it and think I managers better, talk about it? I mean, did you not yeah. listen to the manager interviews? I better ask what that means. <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, it went a long time. Um, would you like to give him the do over? Would you like me? Go for it. I, I, I just, I'm baffled too much to try to do this. Mr. Tabler, if you would like to come on the show and give us a very brief explanation of how you overlooked the term, the platoon advantage for your entire baseball career and <laughs> then the post-baseball broadcasting career uh, and tell us that you know what it means now, we'll never talk about this again. Uh, if we don't see you, we may mention your problems with the term platoon advantage in the future. Oh. The only other thing I can think is that he thought it was somehow special to Pat Venditti, but we were not even going to go there. Yeah, but but you're <laughs> right. You should touch on this. We should give it also a gold star to Dan Schulman for trying to save Tabler there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just uh, making it up as I go along. He's probably in his head thinking, like, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would absolutely uh, I would endorse the gold star there. Schulman is great to listen to. I wish I sounded like Dan Schulman. He also makes Buck better. Buck is trained as an analyst, and he's actually very good at that. I've been saying that for years. I'm like, why would you give a guy the reins of a game who cannot keep track of the score, does not pay attention to base runners, ends up with so many marks on his scorecard, he can't remember what happened two innings ago, and can't pronounce anybody's name? <laughs> Don't give that guy the... Just in case you didn't notice, that's Buck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't give that guy the reins of the game. Let him talk about the funny thing that happened, the way he thought about the, the play that just unfolded, uh, the strategy that he might take into defensively. Or, let him do that. He's really, really good at it, and he's funny when he has the room to do that. But if he's busy trying to keep track of all of the nuts and bolts of the game, Buck is much worse. Yes. Uh, that was our do-over. We were going to talk about Oh, that picture that showed up on Twitter? Do we want to hey, do you that? wanted to discuss it? Yeah. Okay. So someone decided, and it even ended up on Reddit, to take a picture of someone at the game who had up on their phone on Google a, a Google Answers stupid question, how long does a baseball game last? And now that picture was taken apparently in the second inning of the game. And everyone was like, oh, this person doesn't know how long a baseball game lasts. They're in a baseball game. That's not very nice. No, um, it's not. In addition... I would ask you to imagine a few scenarios of your own. Let's assume you got invited by a friend to Australia. Cool. I'd and love that, that friend happen. says, that friend says, let's go to a game of Aussie rules football. Sure. You sit down, you look, 
there's two semicircular lines. There's poles at either end. There's guys killing one another. And you've been there 15 minutes and you have no clue what's going on. If you're right, you could have described, described anything as being on the field and I would have believed you. Now, you could have basically 15- described Aussie rules football as Quidditch, and I would have thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's probably what it is. So after 15 minutes, if your friend gets up to go get a drink, do you look it up on your phone? Yeah, probably. Yeah. If I went to a cricket game, I'd be on the phone constantly trying to figure out how long the thing lasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine. Yeah, here's the thing. People have schedules, right? Yep. And they also have, you know, they have tolerance for how long they can sit through something they don't understand or don't necessarily like exactly and on top of that if you walk into any of the other major four north american sports what's the biggest thing right in the middle of the playing field or or the largest thing displayed around the ribbon around the side that you can see the clock and you walk into a baseball stadium for maybe not your first time there's no clock anywhere it just tells you the time (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, so I feel sorry for the, someone who looks up and the opportunity is like, oh, good, there's only two hours left. It's like, wait, why is it counting? Oh, that's seconds. For <laughs> <laughs> so I feel bad for the person that they weren't obviously enjoying the game, but I really don't hold it against them for trying to figure out what the heck was going on. No. And just this reminded me of something that's kind of funny. Scott MacArthur, after today's game, tweet, the New York Yankees played a game that lasted only two hours and 22 minutes. Check for locusts. <laughs> <laughs> How true. Oh, all right. So I'm going to do the little bit of uh, housekeeping that we normally do now, because I did okay. want to remember to say uh, that we are on iTunes at uh, Artificial Turf Wars. You can find us. Please take a moment. Rate us on iTunes if you like what, I, what we do, because um, we do like to read those reviews, check in on if we're doing anything that's really driving people crazy or something that people really love. Also, on the flip side, it helps other people find the podcast if we have a lot of ratings. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, at the Twitter, we have a Twitter for the podcast. It's at TurfPod. Um, you have a Twitter, which is at Joshua Housem. I have a Twitter at CoolHead2010. So if you're on Twitter, say hi. We love to get questions. And uh, since the season started, we've actually got a few last questions. Yeah, I would have thought there would have been more people who are seeing things and having questions about them. We usually get you know six to seven in the offseason. Now, nothing. So, hey, ask away and you'll get to hear some answers. Uh, we do enjoy that part of the show. All right. So from there, we will go to some final thoughts. You have a final thought um, about the bullpen. I do. Yeah. On our last podcast, I think it was, you and I talked about the craziness of bringing in a long man when the team is, uh, when their starter is going short, but there's a big rally happening. The high level how, situation. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And how it's like, instead of going to their short reliever, they go to, Joe Biagini or Arnold Leon, who's gone. Actually, we should mention that. He's been mm. DFA'd. Um, Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out there's actually kind of a reason for it. When, when Brett Cecil spoke to Richard Griffin about this, and he had this to say, it's always nice to have a comfort level, know when you're going to pitch and where you're slotted to pitch. It, get, it makes guys more comfortable, especially in the game, knowing when to start getting ready. If you start getting ready too early, you kind of tie yourself out a little bit. When you don't know when you're going to go in, getting caught off guard when you haven't even stretched or anything yet. So it definitely gets a lot of comfort knowing where they're going to be slotted. In the game we were talking about, if Brett Cecil had been up and ro- warming and getting hot, and then Stroman gets out of the game, out of the inning, 
there's a good chance he wouldn't be at his peak if he had to come in in the eighth inning. Now he ended up blowing the game the next inning anyway. But it's a really good reason why they don't do it. That is interesting to reflect on. Again, we, we get that very brief mental side of the game that we don't think about, especially when you're playing MLB 16, the show on your Xbox or whatever, and you just poke anybody in wherever you want. Yeah, and these guys aren't chess pieces. They're they're people, and they get tired, and they and they have needs, and you got to sort of have to tend to them, which is the side of the manager's job we don't usually get to see. And I think well, I'm guessing John Gibbons is good at that side. That's why he gets to that reputation of being quote good with a bullpen, even when he does things that we think are funny from time to time. Yeah, because he's being reviewed by his own employees. <laughs> um, I have a final thought that is much more whimsical than that. Uh, okay. You watch the broadcast, you know that they put up the pretend ads in the batter's eye on the field. Have you noticed the new one this year? Not sure I have. Avocados from Mexico. Okay. Seriously, it's a huge (laughs) Avocados from Mexico logo. Now, okay, first of all, uh, the first time I really noticed it was Roberto Osuna came in. And they put up the ad. And I thought, well, Did that's they do just... it when Estrada was pitching too? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just <laughs> funny. It's like, okay, he's Mexican. So obviously, that's the time to advertise our avocados. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, I'm not sure what part of the target audience of a baseball game is going to be <laughs> tuned in to avocados as a product they need to run out and buy after having watched said baseball game and then thirdly i don't get a choice of where my avocados come from when i go to the store (laughs) it's actually a brand but yeah but here's the thing you you watched this you saw it and you did not realize it was a brand you just go to your store and there's one set of avocados sitting in the basket right yeah these are avocados i buy avocados I don't, I do not go to my, can you imagine me going to the store manager? Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I would like to purchase avocados here, but I'm afraid I would like avocados from Mexico brand avocados <laughs> and I don't see them. <laughs> like, yeah, weird it's kind of a silly one because like, most people, as you mentioned, <laughs> shop for fruits and vegetables wherever yeah. they go and then just whatever they have, that's what they take. <laughs> so I have no idea how much money they're spending. Uh, but wow, what a weird way to spend money. Uh, just, <laughs> just crazy. Jay's will take it. So that's my final thought is enjoy your avocados from Mexico. And, uh, I think, I think it should be required that that ad is up now that it's up when Roberto Osuna is pitching. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know. Oh, all right. So that about wraps it up. Uh, that means that you have been Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski. And this has been... Artificial Turf Wars, Episode 7, and we'll talk to you again next week. I wonder if Avocados from Mexico has a theme song. Avocados from Mexico.